We will read from Psalm 133 again. The first verse, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. This psalm is attributed to David. He did not often experience what he describes here because he experienced family and kingdom chaos. But perhaps this was a time uh, when he was experiencing what is described here, and so he penned these words. We have a a declaration that, that unity is good and pleasant. We have two illustrations to describe what unity is like. It's like precious ointment and the dew that descended. And we have the outcome. There, God commanded the blessing. Where is there? Where unity exists. God commanded the blessing. We might wonder how to describe unity ourselves. I think we are experiencing it in this camp meeting when we have representatives of apostolic faith saints from over 20 countries located all around the world. We come together and enjoy the fellowship and the blessings of God. That's unity. We appreciate that. Anytime I think of unity, I I can't help but think of a time Debbie and I rented on vacation a bicycle built for two. That bicycle had two seats, two wheels, as bikes do, two steering wheels, and um, we sat on it and began to pedal. Her... her, uh, Steering mechanism was attached to my seat. I sat in front of her. And as we took off and came around the first corner, you, when you ride a bike, you know, you lean into the turn. Well, I leaned into the turn, and she leaned the opposite way of the turn. And that wasn't so bad, but her steering wheel was attached to my seat, and my seat was loose, so I turned this way, but my seat turned the other way. It might be why I still have back pains today. But I said, Debbie, this is not going to work. You must lean as into the turn. And so as we continued our ride, she and I began to lean the same way. And we enjoyed our bike ride on a bicycle built for two. That's unity. You can have unity without unanimity. We kept our three youngest grandsons before camp meeting and uh, for a week. And the last night, we decided to order pizza. What kind of pizza do you like? Well, the youngest, cheese only. The next one, pepperoni and cheese only. The third one, combination, which is everything, except, he said, I don't like olives. So we uh, did not have a unanimous view as to which uh, which pizza we're going to order, and I'm not built to order a half and half where where you pay the price for the highest half. So let's do this. We'll take everything off but the cheese for you, Lazarus, and for Moses, we'll take everything off except for the pepperoni, and for Moses, everything off, well, we'll just take the, the olives off. 
They were happy. We all came together. That's unity without unanimity. You can have unity without uniformity. My son and I joined a group of Nigerians for a trip to the Holy Land a few years ago, several years ago now, and they gave us what they were all wearing. We had a common fabric. But wearing the same fabric did not create uniformity because we came in all different sizes and shapes and ages. So in that sense, we were not uniform. But we had unity because we operated with one heart and one mind. The Bible gives us several models for unity. The first and foremost, perhaps, is the Holy Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Three personalities, but one God. We have marriage. What God designed was a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Two distinct personalities coming from different backgrounds at times, but united in marriage. And that uh, relationship uh, cannot be severed if it's a biblical marriage except by death. But that's unity. The human body, you know about uh, that, where we have uh, one body but many members. So it is with the body of Christ. We uh, have uh, unity if it's uh, a healthy body, and uh, at times our uh, physical bodies uh, don't cooperate. So we understand the, the challenges that that creates. But the illustration is that we have one church body with one uh, purpose, which is derived from one source, the head. That's Jesus. And when we fulfill God's plan for our lives as a body of believers, we have unity. And as I said, unity is in, in contrast to, uh, stands in contrast to division. And David knew about that. And he longed for uh, the times where unity prevailed. Amen. To declare a group unified does not make it so. You're in the state of Oregon. Well, the, the U.S. has 50 states and the District of Columbia but, and some territories as well. But we are called the United States of America. Are the 50 states united? No. South, south of the border, we have the United Mexican States. That's their official name. 31 states plus a federal district like we have in, in the U.S. But do you think those, those 31 states are united? No. We have the United Kingdom. We thank God for the British here. And we're unified with the Brits. We're sorry about that 1776 revolution thing. <laughs> but we have England, Northern Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. Are those uh, countries or regions united in the United Kingdom? No, we have the United Nations, 195 nations uh, represented in New York City. Well, you know how united the United Nations is, so calling something united does not make it so. Jesus prayed that the church be in unity, that they all may be one. He prayed for 
his believers that thou, uh, as thou, Father, rather, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That's how the world knows that we are his disciples. And he goes on, and there's lots more, but that they may be one even as we are one. God's design for the church is that we be uh, unified in the same manner that the Godhead is unified. Well, that's a standard to reach to, to be sure, but that's a standard that God can help us to achieve and to maintain by His grace. Unity is not automatic. We are to endeavor to obtain it, and then we are to endeavor to maintain it. It's not automatic. And it's more challenging than being willing to forfeit pizza toppings. It, it means to yield for the good of the body and by the grace of God. But when we do that, there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor bond nor free, nor male or female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. That's unity. When I look out at this audience, I see one body with one purpose, derived from one source. I don't see 20-plus nations. I see uh, hundreds, and around the world, if we count the webcast, thousands of apostolic faith saints uh, desiring to walk in perfect harmony. That's unity. That's what we see. We're one body of believers. What makes it good and pleasant? Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. What, what makes it so good and so pleasant? I mentioned uh, a week ago that we received a greeting from Brother Rennie Castle that uh, time would not allow uh, us to read entirely. But I would like to read uh, some of it because it, it reminds me, as I pondered this, of David who penned many psalms when he was away from the house of God but longed to be there. So that's, that's Brother Rennie, hundreds of miles away from here, longs to be here but can't be, though he's joining us online, uh, I know that. But he described it this way. He, he described the camp meeting experience this way. Beginning with the pastor-spouse meeting on Friday and seeing each other for the first time uh, since the year before was exciting. Then, that first Sunday morning, entering the back door of the tabernacle, walking up the stairway to the prayer room, opening the door, and hearing the praying and the weeping of saints before the Lord. What a thrill, he says. You can't be here to experience it, but we can be. From there, entering the sanctuary, hearing the harmonizing music, followed by singing of those hymns like Seeking the Lost, Hallelujah, We Shall Rise. It's the uphill way that counts. The same old way. And so many more. Those testimonies of victory, followed by the inspired Word of God preached, was food for the soul and created a desire to seek more of the Lord. Oh, kneeling at the altar, praying and encouraging seekers, a time to witness the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Yes, there was much fellowship, uh, sitting in the dining tables and conversations with God's people from different uh, countries. There were so many benefits and blessings that it's not possible for me to state, much less elaborate on them now. Well, he did a pretty good job, actually. But he describes uh, there what makes unity good and pleasant. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. But we thank God for the rich experience of uh, a camp meeting. Actually, the way he describes it wasn't exactly the way I experienced the first time I came to Portland because I came as a a newcomer, uh, 21 years old, recently converted. And uh, some testify how they step on the grounds and they they sense the power of God. I I step on the grounds and I felt nervous because I, I didn't know anyone and wasn't really horribly outgoing. Um, but, you know, you warm up to it quickly. And you, you experience uh, the fellowship and the blessings of the gospel. And, and that certainly has been the case. But how is unity like that precious ointment? It's like the precious ointment <clears throat> on the head, upon the head. That ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. That's speaking of the anointing uh, and the consecration of Aaron uh, to the priesthood. They took that uh, oil, which was olive oil, mixed with a variety of spices, and uh, poured that over his head. So you can visualize it going down his beard and to his throughout uh, the whole body. So unity is like that precious ointment. It's precious because it's symbolic of the Spirit of God. That's what you find throughout the Bible. That holy anointing oil is is just that way. When we anoint the sick with oil in the name of the Lord, we have the promise that the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. And if they've committed any sins, they shall be forgiven them. You don't have to be saved to be anointed with oil to be healed. But you can be both healed and forgiven and find deliverance. But that oil was precious because it was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. That oil was precious because it's a product of consecration. Aaron was and his sons, uh, they were consecrated to the priesthood. That is to say they were set apart and uh, dedicated to the service of God. That's actually what God calls all of us to be. We are to be a kingdom of priests where we serve the Lord and uh, honor God in our service to Him. In in that sense, we also uh, are consecrated. We're a product of consecration. So that oil is also uh, was not to be replicated. The formula was given, and it was used for that exclusive purpose. So the oil was consecrated. The priests were consecrated. You are consecrated. So that um, is, is precious in the eyes of, of God, and that is why, or uh, an example of how unity is precious. It's precious because it's, it's rare, you couldn't buy it in the marketplace we heard about the other day. It was not available. So it was rare, and it was costly. That's the case 
of unity. It's, it's rare. In terms of the price of it, it is costly to, to be consecrated to God and to be dedicated to Him and put yourself in a position where uh, God can bless you. It will cost you something. It will cost you everything. It's not like you, you can have reservation. We've heard it said a consecration without, uh, with reservations is no consecration at all. God wants all of you, not, not some of you. So, so it is that way. With regard to it being costly, it's like the law of supply and demand. You don't have to be an economic student to understand that. Where the supply is plentiful, the cost is low. Where the supply is rare, the, the cost is high. Well, unity is rare. You, you won't just pick it up any place. You, you must pay for it. But it's precious if you do. It's precious. Unity is precious because it uh, permeates. It flows. It's not confined to the place where it first falls. It flows beyond its source without limits. Remember that oil? It, it, it was poured out on the head, but it flowed from there. Uh, so it is with unity. It may begin uh, one place, but it will sweep uh, through the body of believers as we are inspired to be in unity, in, in harmony. It's precious because it emits a, a pleasing fragrance to God. It was The formula was designed that way. It's not like some cheap perfume or, or cologne, which, by the way, is plentiful. It's rare. Well, whatever you do with cologne or perfume, that's, that's up to you. You can buy the cheap stuff if you want. I don't care. It's not about that. Uh, but it, 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 you can't afford not to have God's best. That's right. And uh, that's what we want because it's precious. Uh, perhaps most of all, it, it's precious because of the source. Aaron did not anoint himself. Uh, Moses did. But in our case, uh, the source is Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's the source of our unity. We can find that throughout the book of First uh, Corinthians, to be sure. The source of unity was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The source of division was carnality. So the challenge to that church at Corinth was to walk in unity rather than to have division amongst themselves. How is it that the unity... So that's how the unity is like the, the, the precious ointment. How is it that the unity is like the dew that descended? Well, it's a bit similar. The dew that descended from the mountains was what eventually went down and provided moisture to the parched ground below. Well, unity relieves the soul. When we're going through a dry place, uh, we simply uh, put ourselves in a group of unified saints, and uh, that will be relief from the parched soul. And what's, what's unity's outcome? Well, we read it. There God commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. 
That's unity's outcome. And we see that throughout the Bible. We see it in the last chapter of the book of Exodus, where they brought together all those um, vessels and paraphernalia that they had consecrated, uh, some of those uh, having been brought uh, out of Egypt land, and they were set apart and dedicated to the service of of God. And we uh, find that one of the last things that was done there in Exodus in, the, in erecting the, the tabernacle of the congregation was the dedication of, the, of Aaron and his sons and pouring that oil over the sons of Aaron who were to officiate in the priesthood capacity. And we read there as they did all of these things, and there were many of them, but the foundation of all of that was they did so in a unified fashion. They had consecrated uh, their belongings and dedicated them to God, set them apart. And we read there when uh, Moses finished the work, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So there, where unity existed, God commanded the, the blessing, The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. If you've been around here uh, not too many years, you've sat in this same tabernacle where the glory of the Lord has flooded the congregation and even flowed from one side to the other and back again. And we've seen God work and move. Whether that happens, and it happens when God deems it best happen, but whether it happens or not, you can experience your own glory of the Lord as you set yourself apart and dedicate yourself to His service. We see it again at the dedication of the temple where the priests put the Ark of the Covenant in place after having set in order all of those vessels Then we read all that were present and officiating were sanctified. In other words, they were moving as one. They were dedicated. The Levites, uh, which were the singers, they were arrayed in white linen, symbolic of having been made pure and holy, foreshadowing Jesus who provided for our sanctification. They were arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets, foreshadowing the day of Pentecost when they were in the upper room and uh, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And here they were uh, gathered around from many countries in that general region and they thought, what is going on here? Are not all these who speak Galileans? And yet we hear them in our native tongues. Well, the glory of the Lord had filled on the day of Pentecost that upper room to where uh, they understood that he had commanded his blessing. Well, it was unity. They were all not just in one place at the same time, but they were in one place at the same time in one accord. That's That's called unity. And when that condition exists, God will command His blessing, and we cannot refrain from uh, experience His favor upon a unified body of believers. Well, I would like to think that's where we are today. We're here. We're in one place. At the same time, we're in one accord. 
what doth hinder the Spirit of God from moving and sweeping through this body of believers? If we present ourselves a living sacrifice to God, which Paul said is only our reasonable service, well, we, we owe Him everything because He gave everything for us. He laid down His life as the ultimate sacrifice. He is the source of unity. And when uh, unity exists, whether it be two or three praying or two or three hundred or two or three thousand, that is a condition under which God will command His blessing. Yes, Even life forevermore. May God do that this morning. We have an invitation song to come to the place of prayer. Remember this sanctuary is dedicated to be a house of prayer, so we ask that visiting be kept to a very minimum. If you're visiting outside, please do your praying inside. God will hear. He will answer your prayer. He will send down His favor. God bless you.